Hello, everybody, and welcome to Always a Dragon March Madness Edition. We've got a bunch of tournament wrap-ups to tell you about. We've got an off-season look forward to for the men. We've got the season currently running still for the women. We've got some bracket tips you can hang around for at the end. And, of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's a full slate here. And joining me tonight, we've got Anthony. Good evening, Anthony. Hello, hello. And Leon, what's going on? How's it going? Excited. Excited for the NIT. <laughs> this is a good night to be taping this because there's no basketball. First time since, what, early November with no basketball. It's a, it's a sham of a night. It should be off the calendar. But here we are. We're going we're gonna to still talk about hoops, which is great. And we're going to start talking about um, the short-lived appearance by the Drexel women in the CA tournament and, uh, and and the results down there. And, and I'll let Anthony, I'll let you take the mic and kick us off here with kind of what was your takeaway was, do you tip your hat? Do you think, were you a little bit disappointed in the level of play for, from our ladies? Where did you kind of land on that sliding scale? I can't, I don't really know what to say. Uh, it, it's very disappointing uh, that we had the performance that we did. Um, we had Jillian on last week. We talked about things that this team needed to do to be successful. Uh, it seemed as though most of the things that she was concerned about, that we might agree, that we would also be concerned about, all came to fruition, uh, which isn't great. Um, Kylie had a good third quarter and kind of kept us in it. Kashana did what she will do. Um, the other seven players on the court combined for 11 points. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Um, so Friday night, uh, you know, was bitterly disappointing. Uh, I was very excited to get down to Towson. I was planning on going Saturday. Uh, that did not happen, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I really just, I can't say anything but just kind of upset, disappointed that, you know, we were the number one team in the conference pretty much the entire season, ended up the two seed on a tiebreaker, and we go one and done in the conference tournament. In retrospect, you know, with hindsight, I, I, it doesn't look quite as bad. We actually gave Monmouth the toughest go of, of anyone that played them. Uh, they beat Charleston the day before they played us. That was, um, you know, an inferior team for sure, but they went. But Monmouth took out the two seed, the three seed, and the one seed in succession. Uh, the other, the semifinals and final games weren't particularly close. Towson was playing at home in the final. Uh, so I have to give them their props, I suppose. I don't know how that team was 500 all year long. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, honestly. I mean, the two times. I've watched them play. They seem to be a pretty good team. Uh, we lost to them on Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't catch all of that game, uh, but I caught probably the fourth quarter, and they looked pretty good. They looked fairly good on Friday, too, although you also have to say that if we got some more contributions across the team, we probably win the game, regardless, since we only lost by six uh, here. But uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it... it kind of hurts that Monmouth winning resulted in a 16 play in for the conference, uh, in the NCAA tournament. 
maybe if they get a win, that that'll help. Does that does that count as a unit in in the women's game? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I mean, just tough, uh, and it kind of leaves me depressed for moving forward. I mean, we'll talk about the the NIT, I guess, in in a few minutes, but I guess I'll just leave it there. The the one thing I thought, and again, I've been more of a passive fan as the year went on uh, of following the women's program, but. It seems like instead of finding more support as the year went along for Kishana, it's for some reason it seemed to be harder. It seemed like they became more and more reliant on her, especially as it got towards the end of the season. And, and uh, that on one hand, on one hand, you have this incredible performance with, by by a player at a, a player at Drexel that really had some <laughs> superhuman outings and, and on the other side you have a team that really was pretty much just her i, I think on one of the episodes uh, anthony said something like superhuman kishana and, and every everybody else and it really boiled down to just being that even though kylie did show up in the in this game fortunately uh you know she initially started off the season very well and then she was missing and then she kind of had a, some good performance towards the latter half of the season or and in this game even against Mamet, but the rest of the support crew there is, I don't know what it is about. Is it just a sheer number of shots that Kishana ends up taking? Is it, I, I don't know what the answer to that was to solve for. And clearly we didn't solve for it, which is why we are where we are. And I don't know. I'm curious to see how much hope you have going into the WNIT that it's going to be something different. And one thing that I just thought of Leon, as you were talking, and I'm not sure if there's, you know, I have no numbers to back this up, but it, it seemed when the season first started, it was the two woman band of, of Kishana and Kylie carrying the offensive load. Uh, and then Kylie goes down and we kept winning, even though she wasn't around, but it seemed like there were more contributions across the rosters, particularly scoring more recently. And again, this may be pure coincidence. It seems as though Kylie's, numbers, playing time, etc., have gone up. Kashanas have stayed where they always were, but everybody else's have gone down. So it's now it's it's almost seems like the end of the season is back where we started in the beginning of the season, where it's those two and not much else. There was that middle zone where Kylie was, you know, trying to get back. She was putting up a lot of shots. Maybe they weren't all going in, but it seemed like we were getting contributions a little bit more across the team. And now as Kylie is become more of a focus offensively, we've kind of slipped back again. Again, I, I don't know if the numbers back that up. It's just kind of something that seems to kind of be making sense to me at the moment. The other thing I'll mention, Mara Hendrickson had nine turnovers in this in, in that game. Um, you know, Jillian talked about how she's a playmaker, uh, a passing playmaker, I think is what she called her. You know, you got to take the good with the bad. Um, and I get that uh but i mean nine turnovers is a number that is just that that's remarkably bad um you know it's frankly i was stunned when i looked at the box score and saw that she had 12 assists uh so you know this is the ultimate you take the good with the bad she has the record for a single game of 14 she was two off that record in a tournament game for assists but she had nine turnovers i mean there are probably a few games this year where Drexel as a team had nine turnovers and that includes, you know, team turnovers where they can't be attributed to one player. 
nine turnovers for a single player is, is something else. And I don't know if that's scouting on the part of our opponents in in terms of them as the season's gone on. Uh, we don't have Hannah Nihil this year. Uh, you know, Grace O'Neill is a freshman, um, you know, playing more off the ball as a point guard than, than, than not. Um, so I don't know if it's our opposition just figuring out you need to get up and rattle her. And if you do, she'll give you the ball. I don't know if that's the case. It seems like turnovers have been an issue. She's the primary ball handler on the team. The assist numbers are always high, but the turnover numbers uh, seem to have gone up and none more so than than this game against mom. I mean, you know, nine turn. I, I don't know how many of those resulted in points. Um, they had both teams had 23 points off turnovers, uh, but that's Drexel's game. Uh, we're not going to win a ton of games with our size, with our rebounding, with those types of things. We make up for that by winning the turnover battle. Uh, particularly the points off turnovers. And that was a wash in this game. Um, and when nobody else really contributes offensively, uh, you, you get stuck in a, in a spot like this. Yeah, I look at that Mammoth team and, um, you know, I, they were bigger inside, obviously, and that gave us some problems. It gave Kishana some problems. Um, but then their, their guards were more athletic too, I thought, you know, with the exception of, of Kishana. So, you do you question where they ended up in the standings? And I think they lost by to Dartmouth by something like fifteen at home at some point this year. Like I mean, they had some couple of games that were just you don't just, just doesn't make any sense. Um, Dartmouth had two wins this year. There was one yeah. of two Dartmouth wins, and, and was, one of them was to Monmouth at Monmouth by double digits. So you know it's it's maybe maybe it just depends what mood they come out. I don't know, but like um, maybe not the most consistent team on the planet, but. They, they look the part. They look better than a seven seed. It's funny. When we did the preview podcast and we are making the picks with, with Bill, I remember saying, I think the top six can win this tournament. And then I looked at Monmouth at seven and I was like, man, they, they look the part, but they've got to play four games in four days. I don't think they can do it. Like I don't think that's doable and the draw they had and everything else. Like, And you look at it, they beat, you know, not, not only four games in four days, but there were th- it was a three-team co-champions in the regular season, right? Northeastern, Drexel, Towson. They beat all three of them in the tournament. Well, playing four games in four days. Drexel had the CA Player of the Year, all the experience in the world. Northeastern had won nine in a row going into that game, and Towson was on its home floor. And we were the closest game of the lot, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how well they played. So there is a part of me that wants to tip my cap and say, "You guys did something we may never see again." All right? It's, it's that impressive. Until Monmouth loses, until Monmouth loses by like twenty in the in the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta appreciate what you just saw to some extent. It definitely helps Monmouth that they went seven to fourteen from three against us, and we went two for twelve. Um, Huge, yep. another disparity. I mean, and that's the thing. There, it's like you take the different silos of of things that can decide a game: foul shots, turnovers, um, points off turnovers, three point shooting, rebounding margin. When Drexel gives up size, athleticism, et cetera, to, to teams, they can't lose too many of those and still have a realistic chance to win. Uh, you either got to be plus by a lot in one area or or kind of make it up in, in other spots. But you shoot worse from three, don't score more points off turnovers, 
they had they shot twice as many free throws as we did and made twice as many free throws as we did and, and that's kind of where it you know yeah it's, it's just uh, and it was so for me it was just so you could see it happen in real time it was like you said anthony we talked about with coach johnson about this you know like you knew the issues going in and you saw amy pull aside more in the, in the first quarter second quarter getting get in her ear a little bit even take her off the floor at times you saw her at one point, she said uh, Kishana and her at the same time. I think, sorry, Kishana and, and uh, Kylie at the same time, I think, trying to basically tell her team, this is, you know, who's going to be that next person who steps up? Who's going to help these two out? And challenging them. Um, something that w- would drive me nuts with Coach Spiker sitting his top two scorers in a title, in, you know, in a championship game. But I got what Amy was trying to do there. He, she was she was desperate. She said, because that second quarter, it was like all K, okay, you know, all key. So, you know, she was trying to push some buttons and then it was two miserable possessions and she was like, no, nah, I can't do that anymore. And sent Kishana right back in. You know, like, you, you, they knew the problems. They knew the problems. They couldn't find the solutions. Uh, bad shooting day on top of that. Although I will say that Mama's looks were better than ours too. Just the offense never looked good. Even the shots Kishana was hitting looked, they were, they were high, high challenge shots. So it wasn't a lot of clean looks. She was getting blocked a few times. I mean, um, just never felt like, never felt really all that alive in this game. Uh, and the scorers outside of Kashana and Kylie combined to go five of sixteen, thirty-one uh, percent, and you know only a couple three pointers in there. So we're we're taking what should be higher percentage shots and, and making them at a below average clip. Uh, so while Kashana basically shot fifty percent again. Just to yeah, take I mean, under, 13 to 28. No, impressive as hell. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not going to nitpick her performance, certainly. I will say when you have a coach on and say the toughest two kids in the program are freshmen, I, I do. It gives me pause, right? Like, it really does. It, 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 I feel like it's a little bit of an indictment. I, saw, I thought, you know, late in the game, like, we got the ball back, like, down, like, five with four with six seconds left or something like that, you know. We've seen that. Like, you have no chance of winning at that point. But – Somebody grabs it, they chuck it to the basket, right? Like, Keyshawn kind of grabbed it and just kind of rolled it down the floor. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, like, just, you know, it wasn't the fire. More, uh, you know, they're not, that's not who they are, right? And Keyshawn is a great player playing the way she does. I'm not saying, I'm not knocking it in any way, but it's just, it didn't feel like there was a lot of fire um, coming from that team uh, or anybody who's really going to get up and, and, you know, kind of, hey, we have to do, we have to, kick some ass you know like, like we need to get more physical we need to get fired up like who's going to do that and it's tough i think when you're i don't know if they're your leaders but when your toughest people are, are your freshmen you look at that and you know their seniors are kind of chill they feel like they're a little more laid back um which which is is fine but it's just it's a personality thing it's not something i'm used to seeing i guess um so i, I feel like they embody that a little bit um and i look at the composition of this team too and the juniors, like I think, I thought Jazza Valentine actually had a decent game. Like I thought she had some, she made some plays and had some, some played some nice defense against folks who were who were pretty tall and, and had some size. And um, but you get her and you have Chloe, you don't get a ton out of that class. The sophomore class looks like it's a total miss right now. Um, you know, we'll see. But that's that year they were recruiting where they were transitioning between coaches. So you kind of figure out how that can happen. And you're just like, where where are we? And you, you need to lean on those seniors. You need those seniors to, to be leaders and um, great players, 
great players. I just don't know if they're the people who are going to get in each other's faces and whatnot. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree, Dan. When, when Jillian said it on the podcast last week, I, I, you know, in some ways it's, it's a positive because wow. Okay. These two as freshmen are, you know, your toughest players and you've got three more years of these people. Uh, so that's, you know, great. But on the other, on the flip side, they shouldn't be the toughest players in theory. You'd, you'd think the battle-hardened fifth-year players who, who have been to championships and won championships and played in NCAA tournament games and NIT games, and you would think those would be the people um, who would kind of have that swagger. Um, and I think, honestly, it's one of the big areas where we miss a Hannah Nihil from last year because she was that in spades. Uh, so that, I think, uh, in that particular area, I mean, with everything else that she did, the passing, the rebounding for a player of her size, you know, she was so much improved as an offensive player shooting the ball as her pr- career progressed. Uh, the You know, the defense was great. Um, the hustle, but also that 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 swagger that you know is kind of not something that shows up on a box score. Uh, but uh, down the stretch, it it seemed as though it was. And, and who's to say? Who's to say that you know, Kashana and Mara? Uh, I mean, even though Mara wasn't the one shooting the ball, Kashana obviously was doing the majority of the work, but Mara also had a lot on her shoulders to try to play make in that way. She's handling the ball, you know, maybe not quite as much as Kashana, but certainly way more than anybody else on the team other than Kashana. So does fatigue become a factor? We talked about it last week. I mean, just not even physical fatigue, just the mental fatigue of having to kind of carry and do everything for 30 games over five months. Does that just kind of wear on you? And eventually you just, you just get tired mentally. I don't know. Well, listen, I'll, I'll end this with saying this. Our seniors owe us nothing. This senior class has been to the postseason every year they've been at school, NIT or NCAA. You know, they've, they're all over the record books between Mora and, and, and Kishana. And um, they've led to just a lot of enjoyment and, and appreciation of women's basketball in this house. So, um, my hat's off to them. Um, it's a hell of a career. They'll, they'll continue it in the WNIT. Uh, we get the news today that they'll be starting it in the Bronx. And there's nowhere that I like seeing my teams win more than the Bronx. So um, go in there to Fordham and take care of business. That'd be great. Um, and let's, let's keep it moving on. I want to see those careers a little bit more before we see Kishana come back to the deck and retire that number because certainly she should be the last person to wear number one for Drexel on the women's side. Absolutely. Uh, and just to point out for the two of them, um, going into the tournaments here, Kashana is still tied for second with All-American Caitlin Clark of Iowa, 27 points a game uh, for, for points per game. Uh, and Mara has moved technically up from three into a tie for second uh, with 7.8 assists per game uh, with Nika Mull of UConn uh, behind Caitlin Clark. Uh, so the company that they are keeping at the top of these lists is all American WNBA first round pick talent. Uh, so it's, it's very impressive. And, and I echo what you said, Dan, because 
they they don't owe us anything. Uh, it, it, they, they've had incredible, brilliant careers. If anything, I was almost trying to, I feel like, give them an excuse. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, they, 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 they've been great. They've been great. Hopefully they, they, they beat Fordham. Uh, you know, it would always be nice if we got a game at the DAC. I'm not sure if, if you've heard it from anything about whether or not they've already ripped up the court and, and started that process. Uh, what I was told was that it was happening on the 9th. Um, I don't know if that's still the case or not. I, I didn't, you know, it didn't even cross my mind about, oh, what about potential NIT games? Uh, so I'm not sure. I will say just from looking at the bracket that we're in, in the WNIT, um, it's a very New York heavy bracket. Uh, if we were to beat Fordham, we'd play the winner of Columbia, Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson in Teaneck, New Jersey, North Jersey. Columbia, of course, is in New York. So that's kind of right there. Um, St. Joe's Seton Hall on the other side. Seton Hall, of course, is obviously North Jersey as well. Syracuse, they're in New York. So I'm not sure if we're going to host a game, even if we do win. But, um, you know, it's always nice. So that would be kind of cool if it if it's possible. My uh, in-laws, uh, father and mother-in-law met at Columbia. So if we get a chance to play them, um, Amy, I'm begging you. I love my, they're great, but we got to win that game. We got to win that game. Columbia is uh, a very good team too. I, I believe yeah. they were the one or two seed in the Ivy. Um, they, they, they were, the they were very good. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we'll see how mom with us in the NCAA tournament. It'll be, they're hot at the right time. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. But, uh, again, it's, it's stunning. Other, uh, tidbit that, um, Miles McQuiggan was, Generous enough to provide me with from from the CA office, league office there. Since they went back to campus sites for the uh, women's tournaments, which has been uh, was in twenty seventeen, so it's been six finals now because we didn't have the COVID year. Um, the home team, the team hosting the tournament, has been in the final game four times. Four of those six, they ended up in the finals. <clears throat> They're zero for four in the finals. Um, so the home the host team has never won a women's tournament in the last six years here, which is crazy. Crazy. They constantly make the finals and lose, um, which is a tradition unlike any other, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a wonky stat. But I know we've hosted a lot lately. I, I could pass. I guess I'm okay with Towson Keith if they want to keep hosting it. Uh, that, that sounds good to me at this point. I'm good with that plan. Um, I don't know, actually, who's, who's hosting the next couple of years. I think there's, there's some movement going around because COVID shifted everything with the plans. So something to look into. All right, well, we'll flip our way over to the men's tournament, which we have not recapped. We kind of glossed over um, briefly before talking to uh, Jillian last week. Um, wasn't great. Wasn't great if you're a Dragon fan, but honestly, I don't know what more you could ask for with, um, uh, you know, I don't know who was left to go into the game by the end of the time that UNCW game ended. To me, the season was all about getting that bye, getting that 4-5 bye, and um, you saw the difference. You, you clearly saw the difference. Um, obviously beat up. The Yame injury occurs. I'm told it's, it's, it is a foot injury, which is what I think everybody saw. Um, but he should be good to go, you know, hopefully this summer, like this summer, certainly before next year. And then um, hearing, I guess, decent news about um, everybody else's timetable too. Everybody else should be back for next, you know, available for next season, put it that way. Um, so that, that's that's good news if, if that's the case, and you never know how injuries heal, but that's the hope. Um, real solid workmanlike effort against Mammoth of all teams, right, in the first round. 
Um, and then fell in a game where I really thought Trucks was always in it and had a significant lead actually in the second half um, before it just felt like they Justin Moore in particular ran out of gas. Um, and given the injuries, I think he was already a big part of the game plan. But then when Yame was his backup, who was, I think they're going to tandem at the point guard spot when Yame went down and it had to be all Justin all the time. And he hadn't practiced really in like a month. That's just asking a lot. And I, I really feel like that was the story of this game. Um, I'll open the floor. Leon, kind of what, what were your takeaways from the tournament for Drexel? Well, I, I think, um, based on some of our preview for the tournament, we were expecting probably an exit against UNCW. He said if we had everybody return, maybe we have a shot. Everyone healthy, maybe we have a shot. Uh, and it seemed for a moment like that's what was going to happen, that everybody was going to be there, meaning Justin was going to get some minutes, Yame was playing, Amari was back. But, uh, you know, then, then the script kind of got flipped on us where uh, you, you have your – you maybe see why – Yame didn't get minutes early because I don't know if he was nursing an injury. I know there was some conversation about that in the earlier part of the season. It's one of the reasons he didn't get too many minutes was maybe an injury he was trying to recover from. Uh, he was kind of forced to play a lot of minutes with Justin going out and Bergens being out. And now maybe, you know, he overdid it because he played too many minutes too soon. And here we are in, in a critical game after taking care of Monmouth. It was nice to see. And uh, we see uh, one, of, one of the most exciting players I think we've seen this year play for Drexel, man, uh, kind of go out in a, in a, in a sa- very, very sad way. So I, I felt really bad for him. But that exit at NCW, while not preferred, I, you know, to, to a certain extent after what that happened, to be expected. He did, again, it, it baffles me still how we build up leads sometimes and just kind of completely, it, it means nothing. And it just, we were able to kind of dismantle it completely. But uh, I wasn't too surprised that that's what happened in the end of the game. So uh, I wasn't, I'm not too mad about the, I guess, the UNCW exit after what happened. I'm not upset, I suppose. I think that, uh, you know, with the walking wounded, Yame goes down six minutes in. Like you said, Dan, Justin hasn't practiced. Now he's got to play basically the rest of the game um mate got hurt as well uh so a lot of injuries piling up so it's kind of hard to overcome all of that um i don't think it's the reason we lost i didn't think uh the officials did had play had their best game but i don't think that was the reason we lost um if i never see nick farrar again on a basketball court it'll be too soon um 19 points in 17 minutes. Um, I think UNCW should just play him only when they play Drexel and just sit him the rest of the year and try to get another redshirt year out of him just so he could torture us for longer than he has to. Uh, I, How I don't much NIL will you pay to make sure he doesn't transfer to Delaware? I mean, We're not trying to get you to Drexel. We just need you to – we'll pay you not to transfer to Delaware. Yeah. Go to Hawaii, dude. Like, just get out of here. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand. Is that an NIL fund me? Page that like, we can get started for things like this, where we just want players to do things that, as fans, and the opposite of what maybe the actual fans want. I mean, that could trend. That could that could have legs. But I just look forward to Nick Farrar at age thirty four playing pickup in Philly somewhere, and Anthony walking by and losing <laughs> his mind. Oh God! Um, but I mean, 
the thing that I think more than anything, um, I mean, it was the injuries, of course, but it was just the tired legs at the end of the day. They were fresh. We were not. Both teams shot 14 of 23 from the floor in the first half, about 61% each. In the second half, they shot 14 of 28, 50%. We shot 10 of 27, 37%. You know, is that just them making shots and us missing shots? Maybe. It seemed to me that a lot of our shots were going off the front of the rim, which usually means you're tired. Um, And even though it was kind of a laugher against Monmouth, and I don't think we overexerted ourselves winning that game down the stretch, they still played 40 minutes of basketball the day before when UNCW had a week off, uh, and and that matters. And, um, you know, so it, it's tough, um, especially because they just don't win that game if Nick Farrar is not just playing way better than he has any business playing which is just annoying to me. I, when a guy comes out of nowhere like that, it, it just bothers me. I don't even know if it's our fault or if it's just, you know, the basketball gods, but it, it, it's... And consistently against us, across two teams that he's played for. It, it really is impressive. That what, what Nick for, He must have some sort of personal vendetta that we don't know about that he, like, like goes to him mentally to get these performances out of himself. Where I, I don't get it. I, I, I'm, I'm like imagining like, you know, Spiker telling him you'll never play basketball at this level uh, or something. I don't know. Uh, but no, I think he did play well against Hofstra too. I think it was Hofstra, right? Not, not Charleston uh, in the semifinals. So, um, you know, that made me feel slightly better just knowing that, you know, he can, he can do this against someone other than us. Like it's not just like his one superpower is just destroying Drexel. It feels like it, though. It feels like it. Um, I take Silas. We talk about the women's program and the level of disappointment. And I like Anthony that um, as not being the father here, but you, you you're not angry. You're just disappointed. Um, you know, I uh, I think looking at the men's team, uh, unlike the women to some extent, I. Remember a podcast early in the year where I can't remember what the question was, but there generally was being asked about kind of overall feelings on the team or how competitive. And I just I, I don't know what they are, but I know it's not good. And I think at the end of the year, I thought they were a legit contender. Like they progressed as the year went on, they developed as the year went on. Justin Moore, in particular, went from one of the worst, least efficient players on the planet. Um, he was the best player on the court in this game, I thought. You know, maybe Mario Williams was the second. I mean, he was really impressive. They could not stop him. Um, and he's making smart decisions with the ball by and large um, in a, in a high-pressure environment. So that really excited me. Like, I think this this team, you look at the development of Luke House, like I don't know if this is the best set of recruiting coaches ever, although I think the quality of recruits improved in the last couple of years. But I know that they, they have been developing guys. Like, I mean, you're seeing the players develop, and that excites me. It excites me to see a team that's consistently better at the end of the year than the beginning. Now, they had a trip to Italy last summer. It would have been nice if we developed a little faster, guys. A little faster. I mean, take all year and, and we could talk about, to a blue in the face, about what Yame did to, you know, piss in somebody's Cheerios or something like that so in the year to make sure he didn't get on the court. But, um, you know, it's, it's fun to watch. Is it fun to felt like I had a competitive team on the floor? It really is fun to think that if they were the four, you know, 
Hofstra no showed. They didn't quite no show, but you know they, they weren't they weren't great. They weren't great. If you were the four, you had a chance to be there on uh, on Tuesday or whatever it was, um, and and be competitive and be a be a team that Charleston would have been afraid of that had already beaten Charleston once. Like we were that close, that close, guys. Um, and injuries and 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 you know I think a really shitty trip to North Carolina and not being prepared for that NC State game. There were there were a bunch of stuff during the season that you could point to. Um, that kept it away, but I do feel like it's a viable franchise here where I feel like the talent level of the younger players actually may, may even, Amari accepted, of course, um, you know, exceeds what we have on the outbound portion, and that's not a knock on Coltrane. It's just um, like a lot of the women's players. Coltrane, some of the other guys get locked into their roles, I think, and Coltrane spent four years as the shooter, and then this year was asked to not be the shooter. I think that was, I still think that was a huge mistake, but this year it's like, okay, You've been the shooter for four years. That's been your role. We're going to ask you to change it up. You're a leader now. We need you to do everything and be a scorer. I expected that to work, and I think that was a flawed plan from the beginning, right? So I'm not saying everything the coaching staff has done has has been right or turned to gold, and um, but I I kind of like the direction. Put it that way. I don't mind the direction of what's happening here. Um, Curious, kind of think. Am I alone in this one? Are you guys on board? Where's um? Where do we go from here? No, I, I think I agree, man. I, I think we have more that stays, assuming everybody stays, of course. More that stays, and we have we have a pretty we have a lot of good pieces uh, that that could really. Again, I think we've talked before that next year should be our year. Uh, it's a, it should be really a, uh, our really our year to lose uh, if we keep all the pieces. So uh, I still believe that and. Yeah, Coltrane didn't have a great year. Then, uh, it progressively got worse as the year went for some reason too. Uh, and, but I, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with you in the sense that uh, we have more pieces that stay. So I'm excited. I, I concur. Uh, I am actually maybe more excited about next year's team than I've been about the guys in a bit. Honestly, um, you know, heading into a season. Um, again, the caveat is always assuming everybody comes back, which is a big caveat. The season's not even over yet. So transfer portal stuff could still happen. But if the team comes back at it as is, we have a two-time defensive player of the year, rim protector, who was first team all CAA. Sophomore Justin Moore has potentially sophomore Franz Massinet ceiling or, or even higher than that. Potentially, uh, if he could develop his jumper, especially a three-point shot a little bit, um, you know, another year of Luke House is something that I, again, would never have expected to be excited about, but I actually am. Um, you know, Lamar, I don't even necessarily need him to go for 20 and 10 a game. Just be consistent, and 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 that that's just fine. Uh, and I would be excited to see what a full season of Yame starting off the ball looks like too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm definitely pretty excited. And then there's Blakeney too, which is a wild card that didn't play this past season, but apparently, um, if Bill Martin is correct, has a lot of potential and just makes us even deeper. Not to mention Jamie Bergen's coming back from, from, Injury. He was playing probably the best basketball he played all season at the time he went down. So it, it, there's there's a lot to be excited about. 
I think, uh, for next season. Uh, again, the huge if is if everybody comes back and is healthy because uh, we do have some guys injured. But, um, no, I mean, I, I'm – for the first time in, in several years, I would say that I'm more looking forward to the men next season uh, as opposed to the women, frankly. Usually I'm more excited about the women and the, the men are just a complete question mark in my mind. I'm very much looking forward to see what we can do next year on the men's side. So I'm actually I'm excited about the women's side too, just because it's going to be such a fresh look. It's going to be so totally different than what we've seen without Kishana around, right? So I see Amy kind of go back, and we get back into those kind of Denise principles of, um, you know, creating for everybody on the floor and, and spacing and everything. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I think yeah, the men's side too, uh, a lot to be excited about. And I think recruiting to me in this day and age is, is three parts, right? It's your high school recruiting, your traditional recruits, it's the portal. And then what everybody's going to tell you, it's like the worst cliche in sports right now, but the most important recruit are the people who are in your locker room already, right? So my opinion, to be an effective coach, you've got to hit two out of three of those. I think um, Zach and co. have done fairly well at the high school recruiting, especially of late. Uh, they've understood the need to be more athletic than the guys that were recruited previously. And I think they've adjusted, it looks like. Um, I would give them, you know, lower marks for the transfer portal which we really haven't seen them take advantage of um, in the way some of their conference peers have. Um, and then you've got retaining your roster, which they've done an okay job, but you can start, you can list out a decent number of names that have kind of been impact names that have gotten away. And it has not worked out well for those players. If you look at TJ Bickerstaff's lines, if you look at Xavier, Xavier's line, um, Cam, it took him some time, but he's been successful at Penn State, and that's cool to see. But he also did a full four years here. He was a legit grad transfer. That's a diff- bit of a different storyline. You know, I think once, if, you, if a guy, you recruit him as a freshman and he gets his degree from here, that's all you can ask. You know, if he, want, if he has a fifth year, if he, yeah, and he won the championship here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's you know, your fifth year is yours. You know, you've earned that right for sure. But the guys who have transferred out, the grass has not been greener. The guys who have transferred in, by the way, um, you know, We've talked about Yami Butler throw a blue in the face this year. Um, we've talked about Luke House becoming one of the best players in this conference, transferring from a lower division, transfer up. So I think we've we've cultivated some guys, and you've seen some guys who maybe could have used the Zach Spiker offense. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. But he, you know, certainly that's a recruiting tool, and, and he should be telling that story to his to his own team members. Look, look, we're making we're creating the system that really makes you viable and really is going to excite folks when they see your tape at the next level, wherever you want to play. Um, so he's going to hit two or three recruiting cycle cycles. I don't think he's going to hit transfer portal. Certainly he won't this year because we only have one person leaving the roster right now. Um, so he's got to retain his guys. He's got to, and if he, if he doesn't, I probably have a very different outlook on this offseason. So, um, and, and the, where the program is as a whole, because I think you do, you have to hit two of those three legs. Um, so, so very curious about how this next month goes, really. Right, it's a big month, big big month for them to, to hang on to their guys and, and recreate this program. And if they can, I think there is going to be a lot of excitement for for both teams next year, really. Um, all right, well that'll take us to a season long segment. We're we'll doing a full full season look back. You're good, you're bad, and you're ugly. Uh, I don't know who has privileges at this point, and I don't really want them this time. So we've got a lot to choose from. Um, I'll save them. I'll save them to when I'm going to choose between like 
three losses to Mammoth, or like you know, Coltrane Washington was in the stands, and that's my good. Um, Anthony, why don't you kick us off? It's it's tough to not go with the season Kashana had, uh, as I believe Bill Martin had said a couple times. It's probably the greatest individual season um, that a Drexel player has ever had, men or women. Um, but I'm going to go for my good with Luke House because if if there was a player who exceeded expectations for the men or the women at Drexel more than this kid did this season in the 15 years I've been following Drexel basketball, I don't know who that person is. Um, I mean, I know Goran Pantovic was one that definitely, um, you know, from where he started to, to, to win uh, his senior year, you know, certainly improved more than I think most people thought he would. But <laughs> Luke House was a player who barely played last year, came from a non-Division one school, and we, not, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I think it was almost a consensus opinion that if Luke House was playing significant minutes for this team, the season was a disaster. And he has just shown what dedication, hard work, and 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 all of those cliched phrases can can accomplish. So, you know, tip of the hat to Luke House. Um, you know, he was incredible this year, uh, and certainly compared to expectations. So that's what I'm going to do. Go with my good. Um, the bad. I'm going to say who. For the bad, I'm going to go with not taking advantage of opportunities. Um, you know, Dan, you mentioned it, that North Carolina road trip for the guys, um, that Wilmington loss in double overtime um, on the women's side, kind of the turnover-prone losses down the stretch, the no-show performance uh, to Monmouth in the in the tournament, the CA tournament. Um, so it might be a little bit of a cop out, but I'm I'm just going to go with that. It just seemed as though um, while neither team had ba- a bad season and the women had a good season, I think that there were certainly opportunities to, but for both teams to make their seasons better, and it, it didn't happen. So I'm going to say that is the bad. And the ugly um, is me beating a dead horse, but um, I'm going to say it's the lack of Yame until mid-February because I don't really see how it could be anything else. I think everything I just said for the men as relates to the bad may not happen if, if we just started playing him from the moment he, you know, announced himself against Seton Hall. Uh, I mean, from that point on, we were calling for it, and it took another month and a half for it to happen. And once it did, everybody saw what it could be. Uh, So, you know, it's a shame how his season ended. Uh, You know, hopefully he gets healthy and, you know, is, you know, a full go for next season. Uh, But you got to, I mean, (laughs) I can't imagine, unless he was the worst practice player ever and just bricked every shot he took in practice, I, I don't, I just don't understand um, him not getting more minutes uh, when, you know, there were definitely 
offensive challenges on the team this year. All right. Well, I tip my hat to you, Anthony. That was a very solid, good, bad, and ugly. I took a lot off the table for Leon. Took a lot. Let me see. Let me see what he's got. <laughs> All right, Leon, take it away. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's hard. I think you. It's hard not to agree with everything you said for good, bad, and ugly. Uh, and uh, especially the Yame piece. Although now looking back at his entry, I don't know how much. Again, that's one thing that's been on the back of my mind is did they not play him because he was going to be he was not ready to play yet. But anyway, I think my good for this year for it comes from the men's. I, it was the defense. Like I would say, it's been a historical something that uh, historically something that we kept harping on Spiker on for like better defenses. And finally, he had a T player like Amari, and kind of I, I got to kind of handcuff him with this good uh, defense and Amari, I guess, because we had a player that uh, you could make mistakes in defense and still get bailed out. So I think our defense was going to be my good for this year. I think we played a lot better than I we, I expected, but uh, a lot of that had to just do with Amari cleaning up the mess. The bad. I'm going to kind of switch it up a little bit and give the bat to the women over here with uh, not being able to figure out what to do with, with, with kind of put, it, put, it, pull the, put the pieces together around Kishana to get the wins they needed to be uh, kind of be further into the postseason here, maybe as the CAA champions. So uh, I think Kishana, again, there's no denying the incredible performance she had this year. He probably does deserve the good from all three of us. Uh, but we were not able to put the pieces together and had a very early exit of the CA Women's Tournament. And I think not being able to put those pieces together is going to be my bad. And my ugly is going to be coming back with the men's. Uh, not being able to secure that fourth seed. <laughs> Losing to all the, the worst three teams in the uh, men's side. Every opportunity we got, it seemed like we, we blew it going uh, to secure that fourth seed and not being able to do that, seeing as how critical it ended up being in the tournament when we couldn't, uh, you know, we didn't have the legs the second game. So I think not kind of wrapping that up, even though we were, I, I know we weren't picked too high this this year. We weren't picked top four or anything. Uh, but I think as the season progressed, it looked like that was a real opportunity. We, we played with some of the teams in the top four. Uh, you know, we took care of business, but then we'd go and lose the worst teams, which made no sense. Uh, and that inconsistent performance that we kept having. So it's going to be, I think that's going to be my ugly. And I guess with that, Dan, it's all yours. All right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go as Philly as possible on this. When everybody knows, uh, I, I deny my Phillyness whenever possible, but um, there's nobody that Philly loves more than the backup quarterback of the Eagles. Um Right. It's always the backup. It's always the Phillies role player who's got dirt on his jersey, you know, even though the game hasn't started yet because he tripped or something. But like he's got the dirt jersey covered in dirt and he's the guy. Like we, we, we like gritty, we like tough, you know. Uh, like union soccer, it's it's what I appreciate. It's they're the embodiment of that. But um that's who I'm gonna give the good to this year. Because uh and I'm gonna split it up between both programs. Those freshman ladies I don't know what I think about the future of that program if I hadn't seen come, them come out there and play as well as they did. I think we'd be in real trouble. Um, I think that's the next wave. I think they're the next big thing, and I'm really excited about that. So I'll give a nod to the gritty, tough freshman on the women's team. And uh, I will 
give a nod to the uh, to the backups that have been getting the job done. Yame Butler, Garfield Turner, who we don't talk about enough, but, but gave us some quality minutes this year behind Amari. Um, and, and Jamie Versions, right? Like those, those backups, those are the guys who were so important to this team this year that I don't want to go underappreciated because they were huge in those roles. And there were individual games that they took over, each of them, and bailed us out. Um, so they make me um, – bringing them back next year gives me great confidence um, in the depth of this team, the quality of this roster, top to bottom, and where this can go. Because those, those types of players, you're going to see this as March Madness unfolds. That six man who comes off, who all of a sudden lights things up. Effing Nick Farrar. Whoever it is, you know, like there's somebody you hate. All those good teams, all those really good teams out there have somebody you hate coming off the bench or as a fifth man who just, you know, suddenly shows up. And I feel like we have that in spades in the men's program. And we've got a couple alphas to go around them now. Now that we found Yame and we found, you know, obviously we know Amari and Justin Moore found himself. So it's going to be those those other guys. That's, that's the difference between good and really good. Um, so I, I'm going to give my good this year to, um, yeah, to the Philly-style players on both teams. So I love it. Um, for my bad, you guys have taken some good ones. Um, yeah, I, I that North Carolina trip, to me, defined the season. Um, didn't help that Justin Moore got hurt in that NC State game, but they were not mentally prepared for that NC State game. And that, that leads to him getting hurt. You know, it goes, it goes beyond – you know, this happened there, this happened there. So, um, yeah, I just – we had a big win. We came off a big win. We went on the road and, you know, read our press clippings for like the fourth or fifth time that year for the men. Like, I mean, it's just – these guys beat up on somebody and you just know they're coming out flat the next week. So there's one thing that I want from the offseason is something to figure out a way to get angry after a win. You know, uh, I'm a Patriots fan. So Bill Belichick's thing, you know, like the players say it, like you win a big game and he, he picks on you. He picks on you. He picks on you. He picks on you. We hate it. But you know what? They come out, they win the next game. You know, um, So I don't know if there's a good or bad way to do it in, in this transfer portal world where you've got to be your player's best friends too. But to me, it's, yeah, it's those hangover games and that NC State trip probably that define the negative aspects of the men's season to me um, and really, really frustrated the hell out of me because you saw it coming every time. Um, for my ugly, uh, this is an easy one for me actually leadership. And I don't mean a Drexel, actually. I mean, um, we have 12 Division One programs in the city of Brotherly Love um, and the annex of Villanova. And um, one of them is going to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, we just saw a, you know, Temple's, if anybody's kept up on the news, Temple's campus right now, I mean, congratulations. They came to a, uh, they negotiated the end of the strike with their graduate students after six weeks. But, like, they had the graduate students striking. They had a police officer, unfortunately, get shot. They have a crime problem, obviously. That's bigger than the school up there. Um, today, they fired Aaron McKee in the middle of all of that because somebody's trying to win a popularity contest up there for least popular president of all time. Um, you know, they, they beat number one Houston this year. They beat him. Like, he hasn't gotten you where you want to go yet. But and, and I don't know. I haven't watched that program close enough. But that's not an attractive job. Guys, it's not an attractive – I know it's an American conference job, but it's not an attractive job. So unless they have something really lined up, they're asking for more of the same. St. Joe's, you know, a few years ago basically pulled a, a William & Mary with the way they treated Phil Martelli. Um, LaSalle is desperately trying to throw a Hail Mary with Randolphy right now. Penn's competent, but they're in the Ivy League, and they're going to be Penn. 
when Villanova was going through a transition phase, which, you know, you can't fault. They weren't going to be able to hold Jay Wright forever, and there was never going to be a replacement as good as Jay Wright. So they get a little bit of an exception there too. But you look at where we are, and it's not a rising tide. I feel like everybody spent the last 10 years looking at Villanova and going, yeah, they're the exception. They're the exception. Don't count them. They're not part of us. Instead of saying they're Villanova, that's who we should be chasing. We should be more like them, you know, and, and really driving off of it. And I feel like this is the town as a whole. I, facilities upgrades at the various schools are not keeping pace with, with, with their competitors. Um, I, I don't know where the schools stand locally on NIL, but I haven't heard anything major. Like I, it's just it's a disappointing landscape right now. And I feel like everybody's pulling each other down rather than pushing each other up. Um, so I look at Charleston. I look at VCU. I look at Dayton. I look at schools that are dedicated to investing in basketball. And by and large, those investments pay themselves back. That's why I'm, that's why it's such an easy sell. I think when you talk to someone in your president's office, because if you come in there and use business numbers and then put a plan in front of them, it's reasonable. And I think the best leadership in town might be at Drexel right now. Uh, I'll probably leave out you know Drexel Villanova Penn. It's certainly those three that I have much more confidence in the than the others. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of an ugly basketball scene. Philly basketball. It's Philly basketball. Still some of the best high school hoops in the country. So. You gotta figure out a way to not become Rutgers. Rutgers has got some of the best. Best time to bring the City Six back or the Big Five plus one back is what you're telling me. Well, they're doing it because they're desperate. They're doing it out of desperation, right? Yeah, I guess not so. because not as a I'll take it. it Whatever it takes for I, us to be included. I'll take it too. I'll take it too, and I'll take it in a heartbeat. Um, and and we should start beating them. We should. I mean, it's a good year for us to enter into it. To be honest with you, so let's go up there. Let's let's start making an impact and saying, hey, we are going to fight to be the number two basketball team in the city, which is the fight right now. And we'll see how Villanova does. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you can build on this. You can build. Um, so I hope our, our leadership sees the hole. And instead of getting sucked into this kind of black hole of Philadelphia basketball right now, sees the opportunity, invest in it. And, and, and let's Drexel come out on top because I think we can become Philadelphia basketball. Like they're, they're laying it out there for you right now. They're laying it out there. Let's put the money and the resources into it. Give Zach Spiker what he needs and consistently, you know, build a team that's better in March than it is in November and has the talent to win it. Um, so I think we're, we're slowly, slower than any of us would like. I think we're slowly moving in that direction. So that's my long, ugly sermon. Um, and since I've talked just enough, we'll flip into our tournament preview. Um, so let's have some fun for a minute. Do you guys have your own personal? How do you, when you look at the bracket, um, what do you, and I'll leave it open to either one of you, whoever wants to go first here, but how do you fill it out? Is, is it color-based, Leon? For me this year, it's going to be purely color-based. I'm just going to yell out the colors, and whatever my son yells back is his favorite color, and those two will be the color I'll be picking. I, I, want, I want to truly test out one bracket that way and another bracket where I actually – try to use, you know, some sort of intellect, we'll call it, to try to determine who's going to win and, and see who does better. And uh, we'll go with that. All right, Anthony. I find myself, or consider myself, I guess I should say, kind of a connoisseur of college basketball in terms of just following it nationally across the season, uh, keeping tabs on all of the conferences, who's doing well, who's not doing well. Um try to watch it as much as I can. Um, but um, I think 
one thing that I always kind of go back to, it's a stat that I've seen uh, reported in a couple different places, but if you go back over the last 20 years, the last 20 tournaments, um, 19 out of the 20 national champions have finished in the top 25 in Ken Palm, adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency both. Uh, so uh, the exception being UConn in 2014. I think that's the Shabazz Napier uh, year. I think. That, year. Yeah. that was the Kevin Ollie year, I think. Um, so uh, that's kind of a pretty good sound, uh, starting point, uh, considering it's kind of held true um, you know, pretty much every year over the last 20. Uh, free pro tip here, the teams that currently meet that criteria, Houston, Alabama, Texas, UConn, and UCLA, for what it's worth. Um, but – um, don't pick Purdue is, is basically what I'll say. Uh, they, I feel like they let me down in the tournament every year. Um, and if anybody watched the end of that big 10 championship game yesterday, it kind of, uh, proved my point for me. I think <laughs> they did their best to give that game to Penn state. And if it wasn't for a cam winner walk at the end, maybe Penn state even wins that game. So I've got, I've got three tips, three things I got. First of all, I fill, I fill out three brackets every year. Okay. Religiously fell three. One of them is a chalk bracket, which gets complex when all the number ones ends up playing in the final four because you got to pick something. Um, number two is a bracket I fill out with either my wife or my daughter that's transitioned over the years, which is largely mascot based. Uh, very important. Uh, very appreciative that my wife's undergrad, Johns Hopkins, is not eligible for the tournament because it would be Blue Jays all day. Um, and then the number three is kind of my real, you know, my real bracket and the three tips um, that I have here. Um, a lot of the brackets these days, like the first four that I opened right before this podcast, don't have the site locations on them. Home court is a huge deal, huge deal in these big arenas uh, because they're packed. They are full. And remember, everybody, you know, especially in that first day of the tournament, if you ever get a chance to go with one of my, my, I mean, I've been to the tournament twice. Once was the national championship game in New Orleans when my wife was living there. Kansas, Kentucky, great game. The other time was when it was in Philadelphia and we had, um, Dunk City, we have Florida Gulf Coast that year where they won two games as a 15. So I've been really, really spoiled. But the the memory there from that arena that's so vivid is I went with my friends from Georgetown um, who watched them lose to Dunk City. And um, the way that arena turned on them and how miserable they were in their seats because everybody's rooting for the other, you know, there's, there's four teams worth of fans there, right? And But nobody in the other game wants to play the favorite. They all want to play the underdog. So it's the underdogs fans and then everybody, you know, so if I look at St. Mary's, St. Mary's going to Albany. I think they've got UConn, Iona, and VCU are the other, are the other three schools playing when they play, something like that. Like St. Mary's should be a five anyway. They should be above that. But now you've given them a lower seed. You put them in the 5-12 game, increase their chance of being eliminated. And now you put them in hostile territory against every other fan base there. Like I think they're going to have a tough time getting out of there. So – I guess my first tip is make sure you're looking at a bracket that has locations on it because a lot of them don't and it's silly and it's worth probably four or five points. Um, my second one, Anthony, is actually a lot like yours. I went back to the old website, the old blog, and I have a post if you want to read it, but it held up over the years, which essentially says the same thing. It's top 15 defenses, Kempom, top 40 offenses, and top 35 strength of schedule is what the, these champions ended up with. And and here's, one, here's a key capper also onto yours, Anthony, which is they haven't lost more than four games since the end of since the beginning of February. Not eliminated a couple of teams. 
So my list ends up looking and sounding a lot like yours because we're very similar criteria, right? Um, but Bama, Kansas, UCLA, Texas, UConn, Creighton are the uh, the six that make my list. Um, Creighton's probably the outlier, right? You ignore that, but I also don't have Purdue. I don't have Houston, just like you. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm willing those two out. Those my two number ones I don't love this year. Um, and UCLA and Texas from the two line. UCLA is obviously out west too, so they're going to get some help with the, with the region and, and with where they'll be playing. Um, but of those six teams I mentioned, three of them are in that west bracket. That's going to be that's going to be a firefight. And that uh, uh, Kansas, UCLA, and UConn are the one, two, four seeds in the West. So look out. That's 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 your loaded one for sure. Um, Bam and Creighton are both in the South. Texas in the Midwest, and none of these teams come from the East. So um, maybe it helps you when you get to the Final Four there. Um, and the third thing I look at, um, I'm not a gambler, but um, I look at the point spreads, especially with the first-round games. If you have a lower-seeded team that is a pick one point or even a favorite, take the lower-seeded team. Take them every time. Vegas is smarter than the guys who are making this bracket. Um, so, so that's my other. That's that's always a good helper for first round games. You have a dog, and, and Vegas thinks it's it's a game. Take the dog. Um, plus, it's just fun to root for the underdog, man. Make this whole thing about underdogs this this this, this time around. But that's it. Have fun with it, right? Have fun with it. Enjoy it. It's the madness. I can't wait for Thursday. Um, so, this is my favorite time of year. I just like to see Drexel playing it once. <laughs> so, Sax Biker, you know, in your staff, I'm just asking. I know, I know you did it once, but it kind of wasn't unavailable during that COVID year. So, if we could, uh, if we could maybe get that one more time, I'd appreciate it. Um, I'm going to throw a couple other uh, little tidbits at you here. Um, a five seed has never won the tournament. Um, so, you, you, you talked up St. Mary's, but they are a five as is Duke, um, who I think is actually a little underseated, uh, Duke. Uh, I was a little surprised. I know the ACC had a little bit of a down year, but and I know they had an inconsistent year, but I, I thought they would end up a little bit higher than that. I think, I'm not certain on this, I'm fairly certain that Boise State is favored over Northwestern, I think. Um, and Boise State is um, a 10. No, nope, I'm wrong. Forget it. But anyway, as far as the Mountain West, I'll point out Mountain West teams are 0-7 in the first round over the last three tournaments and 1-23 all time when they're a 10-seed or worse. Um, I feel like the Mountain West is a conference that I always look at and I'm like, wow, these teams can be really good and they always underachieve. Um, <laughs> are they on CBS Sports too? Are they the other West Coast? Like, uh, I think they are. I think so, yeah. So that's why I always end up watching their games after you know after a CAA game or something like that, and they've always got like I think they're they think they play Thomas and Mac their their conference, so there's always a cool floor on the arena, and I get sucked into being all about the Mountain West this time of year, and then that happens, Anthony. Hundred percent right. Follow you know what team. it is? I, I I picked the wrong Mountain West team. Ten seed Utah State is minus one and a half against seven seed Missouri. Gotta take them. Y- you gotta because that's a weird line. Because Missouri is a pretty good team. Um, so I don't know what's going on with that line. It's definitely a weird line, which means you probably should take it. But the history I just listed out with the Mountain West tells you picking Mountain West teams does not usually go well for you. Um, now, I think those two teams are basically 
more than likely playing for the right to likely lose to Arizona. So I, I, I would say that, um, you know, it's not going to kill your bracket too much because you probably don't have them going more than one, uh, you know, past the first weekend. But um, then again, Arizona is a team that can always lay an egg too. Not a great defensive team. So who knows? Yeah. I say that's my Princeton. Come on now. Let's go Tigers. Lee, Lee, and, I, Lee and I are on, on this, okay? Jadwin, Jim's own. We're, we're in for it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I mean, that game, the Utah State game is in Sacramento, so maybe they think they're going to travel. Uh, that feels like a, a bit much, but I think it's possible. Um, the one thing we haven't touched on yet that I wanted to hit on is Charleston, actually. Because Charleston got that 12 seed, that 512 game. Everybody loves the 512 game, and they're in Orlando. Charleston folks are going to travel. Um, they're playing San Diego State. There's going to be nobody there from San Diego State. San Diego State is both in the tournament regularly, and you know there's no reason for them to travel cross country for this. This is not like a they made it for the first time forever. Um, and on the other side of that game, they have uh, Virginia Furman. So the Virginia fans will be there, um, be pretty loud, and, and they'll be back in Charleston as well. I think Charleston's got a good crack, is what I'm trying to say. Um, What's the line? I agree with you. I think the line was five. Minus five, San Diego State. But I, I agree with you, and the, the contrast in styles is interesting uh, because Charleston likes to go up-tempo. San Diego State is a very defensive-minded team. Um, they give up four fewer points per game than, than Charleston does, 63.6 a game. Um, but they score fewer as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's definitely an interesting one. And I feel like we were talking um, about how if Charleston's able to win one – it's not a great team to play when you only have a day in between to prepare for them. And if Virginia beats Furman, like I think they will, another huge contrast in styles. And that's a game that if Virginia can't put the ball in the basket, Charleston might be sweet 16 bound, which would be great for the conference. That would be that would be great for the conference. I'll tell you what, UVA is only a five and a half point favorite on Furman. And that that raises an eyebrow for a little bit. Nobody's taking Furman in that game, right? I mean, they're, they're offensively they're challenged. Like, yeah. They they have they have big offensive problems at Virginia. They just can't put the ball in the basket. It, it's a good it's a good spot for Charleston to have ended up in. Put it that way. It's a really good. I mean, I don't know. You want to be playing Alabama, you know, coming up. But if you get to the Sweet Sixteen, you kind of worry about that then. Um, I, I will be rooting passionately against Bama uh, against Bama for other reasons, right? But um, you know, it, it's um, good on Pat Kelsey. Would love to see them go win some money for the league. Remember, it's it's big money. It is really big money for this league for, for our school if Charleston goes out there and excels. So um, to, I, I've got no reason to dislike those guys. Tommy has been a great guest, and um, Charleston was more than hospitable for the CA tournament for all those years. So uh, I'll, I'll go out there and, and, and certainly back them up and, and hope they uh, – I mean, this is, this is probably our best chance to – get a unit in quite some time. I mean, when was the last time the CAA had a seat as high as 12? 11 years ago? 2012? That's a good question. If like 13, I feel like it's got to be. 13, 14 maybe. But yeah, I mean, certainly they were above that in 12. But um, I mean, even those, remember those final four teams were, were, were low seats. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we ever get respect. Yeah. I think VCU, when they went to the final four, they were an 11 play-in, I think, if I'm right. I think I th- Feel like that's right. Those playing teams always somebody. Some one of those playing teams always makes a run. That's another bracket tip. I mean, one of those playing teams always does something stupid, like LaSalle or something. Eh. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm, not that I'm still angry. Um, I do have uh, Auburn's one point favorite over Iowa. It's a nine eight game. Not that anybody really cares about the nine eight games, but um, 
The nine is a one-point favorite over the eight there. Um, that's in Birmingham, so helps Auburn a lot. Auburn will be well represented. Cam Winter's only a three-and-a-half-point dog as a 10 seed, by the way. Cam's against a and He's only a three-and-a-half-point dog. Would love to see him make a run. And the guys from Penn State, uh, look forward to the coaching change up there. Right here, in 10 of 11 tournaments since the first four has existed, at least one of the at-large participants has gotten to the second round, which means they won two games. Of course, we have VCU and then UCLA from two years ago, both getting to the final four, and three others have gotten as far as the Sweet 16. So it's a pretty good bet that one of those two winners as an 11 seed, uh, whether that's Mississippi State, Pitt, Arizona State, or Nevada, will not only win their game in the next two days, but then also win on Thursday or Friday. I've got your official Havoc site. Uh, which is Albany, which is as called with the St. Mary's game. I think you know I, I don't like St. Mary's draw there and having to go there, but you look at the uh, the other side of that, which is Drake Miami. Uh, it's a twelve five game where Miami is only a two two point favorite in a twelve five game. Um, so they like Drake, and I can't tell you I've seen anything about Drake this year, but I like Drake. And then uh, the four thirteen game is uh, Kent State Indiana, and Indiana is only a four-point favorite in a 4-13 game. So I think that that game is going to be a close one between Kent State and Indiana. And the winner of those two games plays each other. So that just, it smells like mayhem. It smells like uh, that Albany site will be the one I'm looking at this year for, for kind of crazy to happen. And God help us all, but VCU is in that site. So, you know, if they end up in the Sweet 16, I quit. You know, I just, I'm just going to go work for Mike Lito's for a living or something. One other pro tip is to keep an eye on injuries. For teams you may not pay close attention to, especially high seeds. Um, I think Miami had recently lost a player um, that was pretty important to them to the injury. Uh, UCLA is down Jalen Clark, who's probably their best defensive player and had been a pretty good offensive contributor this season as well. He's out for the season with an Achilles, uh, so that's a blow to them. Without him, they still made it to the Pac-12 title game for what that's worth. But then I think the biggest injury note will be if Marcus Sasser is able to play for Houston. Um, he hurt his groin in the semifinals on Saturday of the AAC tournament. They still were able to win that game against a team that I, don't, I forget who it was, Tulane or someone, not very good, um, or not in their league, certainly. They lost to Memphis without him on Sunday, uh, and he is the, it's still kind of unclear whether he's going to play. I don't think it'll, they'll need him against Northern Kentucky. But, you know, a team missing its best scoring player uh, in an 8-9 game, which is going to be two power conference teams, and Houston as a one seed, despite the fact that I think Houston's very good, and metrics-wise, they're a team that, like, certainly has the things you need to make a deep run. They still play in the American. So the night-in, night-out grind of that league is not quite as – rugged as some of these other teams. So if, if Marcus Sasser doesn't play and you pick Houston as your one seed with, you know, 31 wins to make a deep tournament run and they're missing their best player, that's upset alert to me. All right. So, um, yeah, pick your favorites. That's always one of my things is uh, I'm, I'm going to pull for Colgate because it's, it's a family thing. And uh, I'm going to – Pick. I'm going to pull for Howard because that's a uh, F. Joey D. thing. Uh, they 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 stood up to the man and to take it, but it's it's a great school and it's a great history and it's great to see. And then I'm going to uh, 
root uh, obviously for Princeton and for the Raisian Cajuns because anytime you have a chance to root for the Raisian Cajuns, you have to do it. Uh, so do that. Pull for our guys from Charleston. And, and like I said, just enjoy this weekend, all right? So on behalf of Leon, Anthony, and myself, it's been fun. We will have more tapings to come uh, as we follow the women through the WNIT. And uh, I'd love to, to speak rap with you later. So thanks again for hanging out with us. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Good night.